Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Hello and welcome to Series 4, Episode 4 of Out with Susie Ruffle. Before we begin, thank you so much to everyone that got in touch after last week's episode with Rose Schmitz. I really enjoyed it. It seemed that loads of you really enjoyed it too. I've been inundated with emails that I will be sharing over the coming weeks of people that really aligned to her story or people that just loved listening to her and loved hearing her journey. Um, so thank you so much if you got in touch. Thank you if you just listened. There's also been some lovely new comments on the Apple's iTunes thing, review thing. <laughs> I really should have more of an idea of what I'm doing, shouldn't I? The iTunes review thing, because rating and reviewing helps you f- more people find the podcast. And I only really know that because I listen to lots of other podcasts and that's what they say and they must be right. But thank you if you got in touch and thank you if you didn't get in touch. If you're someone that just listens, maybe you're someone that it doesn't like, chatting about stuff they enjoy or queer stuff they enjoy in a public sphere that's okay too this podcast is for you too um for those of you that that have uh, shared it on twitter and instagram and stuff that is awesome and uh, no i really appreciate you but whoever you are if you're listening to this i appreciate you too now i don't know when you're listening to this for me it's currently sunday morning on the 24th of october 2021 you could be listening to this in five years time who knows who knows what will be going on in all of our lives then but whenever you're listening i hope that you have a good week i hope that if it's the morning you're having a good morning and that it's going to be a good day and i hope that you've got a very nice coffee in your hand because uh, that always encourages me to have a very nice day um, oh, we've got an exciting episode today. I've got a, an actual hunk from a boy band. Imagine someone whose picture I genuinely had on my wall when I was 14. Um, how exciting. It's Duncan James from the boy band Blue. I think you're going to really love this episode. Uh, but before that, as always, we share emails from our friends um, across the community and our allies as well. So uh, let's begin here. Dear Susie. Thank you, your podcast is entertaining, funny and informative. But more than that, it shows the variety and richness of the LGBT plus community. That there are innumerable ways to be LGBT plus and to come out. I discovered your podcast at the start of the year, exactly when I needed it. In my late 20s and up until recently, I comfortably identified as a straight woman. Having been able to come off antidepressants a little earlier, I found myself experiencing sexuality for the first time in over two years. Like many other side effects of the medication for me had been a complete loss of sexual thought or desire. 
I want to be clear here that it's a significant shift caused by a chemical change that returned when I stopped taking the medication. Asexuality is important and it's an often ignored part of the LGBTQIA community. People like Ace Dad advice on TikTok are incredibly validating forces for good. As those feelings started to return, they were for more than just men. There were still characteristics, physical and otherwise, I found attractive, but they weren't limited to gender as before. I don't think having to reevaluate who you are is ever easy, even with the most supportive family and friends who encouraged me with open arms. I struggled with feeling like I was intruding into the LGBT plus space and identities. And a lot of that was because I didn't have this moment of revelation that everyone else seems to have. Being bisexual now didn't change anything about my past. I didn't look on it with a new light and recognise different feelings. I was just being honest with myself then when I identified as straight. Listening to your podcast has been part of helping me realise that my experience is real and it's mine and it doesn't invalidate anyone else's. I am queer enough. Thank you to you and your amazing guests for being who they are and sharing with us in the open. It changes lives. Best Anna. Well, Anna, thank you so much for that. You're absolutely right. No one's journey invalidates anyone else's journey. And I think that needs to be said more than ever at the moment with the LGBT plus community. As you all know that listen to this podcast, the T is always with the LGB for me. And and, and, and to be clear, it is also LGBTQIA plus. But you're absolutely right. Our experiences never invalidate other people's experiences. We can all have our own queer journey and that's good enough. And yes, you're absolutely queer enough. And I hope that you're doing well and that your journey off of antidepressants is a really positive one. And I'm so pleased that this podcast sort of appeared to you exactly when you needed it. Appeared to you sort of sounds like it came in a puff of smoke, which I assume it didn't, but you never know. Uh, but thank you for reaching out. Thank you for getting in touch. And you're right, it is the amazing guests on this show that really make it. And I am lucky enough to just be having a chat with very inspiring, brilliant people. Okay, let's have one more email and then we'll get on with the conversation. Hi, Susie. First of all, I saw you in Darwin back in September and you were absolutely amazing. You put out such a warm and safe energy when you do your shows. I think that's because you're so open about your identity. It felt like a smaller version of a pride parade and I felt so at home. I was lucky enough to meet you after the show and I thanked you for being a queer woman in comedy. I so wish I could go back in time and show my 15 year old self your work. It would have saved me a lot of hurt. I had two comings out. First at 15, 16 as a lesbian and then earlier this year as non-binary. I still identify as a lesbian though. I know some people say that you can't do that but I'm going to explain that a little bit later on in this email. I dealt with a lot of internalized homophobia when I was younger to the point where I would feel sick but I was also dealing with a lot of internalized transphobia. When I was a teenager, I wanted to learn about the trans community, so I went on YouTube and tried to find some trans creators. Unfortunately, I stumbled across a bunch of those trans creators who hated non-binary people. In their videos, they would talk about how non-binary people aren't real and how they damage the trans community. It was really awful to watch because I related to what a lot of the non-binary people were saying, but I just felt terrible because I thought that I was making it up somehow and that I was just a tomboy. I could tell this was upsetting me, but I just couldn't stop watching it. It took me years to unlearn and unpack my internalized transphobia. I found out this rabbit hole when I was 15 and I'm 20 now and I only just came out this year. I managed to find much lovelier trans YouTubers to watch and also some wonderful non-binary creators. 
and I now feel a lot better about myself. I use they and she pronouns, but I'll probably drop the she when I feel ready. Everyone I've told so far has been very supportive, including my mum, which I'm so, so grateful for. Like I said, I still identify as a lesbian. This is because I feel just outside of the woman binary and not directly inside of it. But I also don't fall into the male binary. I sort of hang out in the orbit of being a woman, but not quite. Sometimes I drift further away, but usually I drift back to being just outside. This is why the non-binary label fits me. It's also why I feel connected to the label lesbian. Not all non-binary lesbians feel the same way as I do, and that is completely valid, but I wanted to share my experience because I feel like a lot of people don't understand me. I've really tried to explain my gender identity and sexuality, and I don't want this email to be too long. There's so much more that I could explain if I had the time. I've attached a photo of us both outside the venue in case you remember me. Thank you for reading my story. And that's from George. Um, first of all, George, I do uh, recognise you. I remember meeting you and your lovely mum when you came to the show in Darwin, which is near Blackburn, or in Blackburn, sorry. You're right back in September. I absolutely remember meeting you. I remember meeting your mum. We had a lovely chat. And I, I, I'm constantly learning about all of these things. And, and as someone that isn't non-binary and I, don't, I identify as a cis lesbian, it's always great to hear lots of different perspectives. And like I was saying in, in the previous email, all of our journeys, they don't invalidate anyone else's and they don't really need to mean anything to anyone else. If you find a label that suits you and feels right for you, then that's fantastic. That's all you need. And I'm pleased that you've found that. I'm pleased that you've found that that works for you. Um, thank you so much for coming along to the show. And it was such a pleasure to meet you. And thank you for sending me that gorgeous picture of us two. Um, it's really, really nice. And yeah, thank you for getting in touch. It really means a lot. Okay, let's move on to today's... Oh, before I do, if you want to be like George and come to one of my tour shows, you totally can because uh, I've got a handful left before this show is done and dusted. Let me find the dates. What are you doing, Susie? I'm looking at my own website. Okay, what do we have left? We've got Lyme Regis. This weekend I'm going to Devon and Dorset. So if you want to come, I'm doing Lyme Regis on Thursday, Great Torrington on Friday, and Ivy Bridge on Saturday. Then on the 18th and 19th of November, I'm in Reading. On the 3rd of December, I'm in Portsmouth, my biggest ever tour show at the New Theatre Royal. There's a handful of tickets left, but they're gonna sell out pretty quickly. Then on the 10th, I'm in Banbury. Uh, and that's it, that's the last tour shows I have. So if you're wanting to see this show, please do come along. Uh, the gigs have been phenomenal. I've met a bunch of people who love the podcast um, after the shows. I met some people at the Black Heath shows. I also met some people at the Milton Keynes show this weekend. So uh, thank you. And as I mentioned, if you want to find me um, after the shows, you always can maybe ask an usher or go to the stage door or it's different in every venue. But if you ask, hopefully a message will get back to me. Uh, ask at the beginning of the show if you want to have a photo and then I'll always make sure that happens happens unless I'm like running for a train and then there's not an awful lot I can do but nine times out of ten I always have chance to come and say hello to people right that's enough Suze so much admin this morning what are you doing let's get on with the conversation thanks so much to uh, my two lovely listeners that uh, whose emails I shared this week George and Anna I really appreciate you both getting in touch and loads of you have got in touch if you want to chat to me please do the email is hello at outwithsusieruffle.com you can find me there you can find me on the socials I do have one quick request before we get into today's conversation. I am delighted to say that I've been nominated three times in the National Comedy Awards and it's an audience vote so you can help me get to the shortlist 
and it would genuinely mean the world to me. I would absolutely love to make the shortlist and uh, get to be part of that event and get to go to a fancy party and put on a suit because you know how much I love doing that. But it would really mean a lot to me and all the work that I've uh, put into to doing comedy in the last few years and doing podcasting. So if you've got the time, it's thenationalcomedyawards.com and I am nominated for Outstanding Female Comedy Entertainment Performance. I'm also nominated in Best Stand-Up Show and finally my podcast with Tom Allen uh, in Comedy Podcast. That's Like-Minded Friends. If you've got the time to go and vote for me a few times, I would be bloody over the moon. So that's thecomedyawards.com. Okay, let's get into today's conversation. I loved this one. As I mentioned before, a proper hunk from a boy band. What a thrill, what a thrill. It is the fantastic Duncan James. I really hope you enjoy this and I will chat to you next week. Oh, listener, I am very excited for today's conversation. It is with Duncan James, who I'm sure you're going to know who it is. He's an English singer and actor and TV presenter. And many of you will know him from the hugely successful noughties boy band, Blue. I actually had posters of Duncan all over my wall as a teenager. He was... Um, he, he was one of the boys that I said that I fancied. Uh, he was that good looking. Um, they were massive, rocking up hits all across the globe. And Duncan's good looks and great voice made him an instant pop star and heartthrob. After Blue, Duncan went on to have a very successful career in musical theatre starring in Chicago and Legally Blonde in the West End. Of course, he is massively talented, but... Most importantly, let's be honest, he's also a bloody lovely bloke. We only met a couple of weeks ago at the LGBT Awards. My wife and I arrived quite early, as did Duncan, and we sort of had that awkward moment where we didn't really know what to do and decided to have a chat with each other, and he was a gem. In fact, in the car on the way home, my wife and I agreed he's still very handsome and what a lovely bloke. So I'm delighted that he's come on the show to chat to me today. Hello, Duncan. Oh, thank you, Susie. It was... It was a lovely little moment we had actually because we were there pretty early, weren't we? And it was always it was always a bit awkward. I mean, there was ours and there was like the Duchess of York, Fergie stood there, which was, oh, just, that was very <laughs> odd. It was just all very weird, wasn't it? Very, very it was weird. a very odd moment where I thought, I'm just gonna catch Duncan from Blue's Eye and make sure that he is finding this as weird as me. He is, okay, great, we can be friends. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And of course, we've got a mutual friend in Gok. We do have a mutual friend in Gok, uh, the lovely, the lovely, lovely Gok one. Um, and do you live in London these days? I'm actually down in Surrey. Um, funnily enough, I moved I moved in with my mother um, back with my mum as a 43-year-old man <laughs> uh, at the beginning of lockdown because I didn't want my mum to be on her own. So I was living in Liverpool. I sold my, my, my place up there and um, I came to stay with my mum just for a few weeks. Lockdown happened. And I haven't actually left. Oh, wow. I had no idea. Yeah. That's, um, so have you reverted to being a teenager? I have reverted fully to being a teenager. <laughs> My mother actually came in the room this morning. She said, Duncan, open the window. It smells in here. I was a smelly teenager this morning. Yeah. Because <laughs> did you grow up, did you grow up in Dorset? Is that right? Yeah, I did. I, I was born in Salisbury. I lived in Dorset with my grandparents and my mother till I was 13. And then we moved to Devon. And a beautiful little uh, seaside town called Sidmouth, which was just so idyllic and gorgeous. Um, and they call it, ironically, God's waiting room. But apart from that, it was lovely. That sounds like a beautiful place to grow up, but maybe not when you're looking for fun as a teenager. Actually, funny enough, we actually had a lot of fun as teenagers down there. But it was, it was kind of alternative fun. So different kind of fun to kind of, if you're living in a big city, I guess. We had our fun... Um, 
there was a local nightclub called Karina's, which you would go there every Saturday night and you would get off with, you know, one of the girls from school. And, and before you get back to school on the Monday, everybody's talking about who you got off with. So it's like, oh, my God, you got off with Naomi Pretlove at the weekend. It's like, oh, my God, it's gone round the school. <laughs> <laughs> and so did you always know that you wanted sort of a career in performing or in singing? Were you always someone that was like, were you in plays at school or were you like in bands and stuff? Yeah, I was that really annoying kid that was always cast as the lead role in the school play. So kind of everybody knew me. Um, so a lot of the boys hated me. Uh, I would get called gay from a young age. I would be bullied you know, queer bashed, all that kind of stuff. Um, but all the girls were like my friends. I was friends with all the girls. Um, yeah, but the boys, I, I was never into the football kind of vibe of those kind of boys. I never hung out with the, with, I call it the sporty boys, you know, I never hung out with, with those guys. I was always the kid in the drama department hanging out with the girls, really. Um, and I got, a lot of, I got a lot of stick for it. Yeah, a lot, I, I was bullied quite badly earlier on. I think it's just, I don't know why, maybe because I was just different and people didn't know how to how to deal with different. Do you know what I mean? It's like, well, yeah. why don't you like football? Why don't you hang out with the boys? Why are you different? Oh, you must be gay. And I would really take offence to that, actually. And I'd be really upset and I'd come home crying and be like, you know, why are they so horrible to me? And my mum would just, just say, oh, well, just, you know, have a tough skin. And if they bully you, bully them back. Um, that kind of attitude. Yeah, I'm sorry. Kids can be quite horrible, can't they? When people say that, oh, school's the best years of your life, I'm like, like, fuck it was. Like, mm. it was horrible. Mm. I hated school. You know, I, I know people that are still really good friends with people they went to school with, but I'm not really in touch with anyone. And I'm sure there were, like, you know, there were some lovely people there, but I was so busy pretending to be somebody else mm. and so busy worrying that people were going to find out this secret about me. Right. That no one really got to know me. No. You know, I guess we're kind of a similar age-ish, but like for people of our generation or the generations before us, you know, now I think a lot of, not everyone, but a lot of people are out at school. But certainly if you were hiding that about yourself, I think it's quite hard to make any sort of meaningful friendships. Yeah. And I think also at that age, you kind of, well, I mean, I was quite unsure of my sexuality, even though I kind of probably mm. knew deep down that I was gay. I still didn't understand what the word gay meant. I didn't, mm. I didn't, I didn't have the knowledge um, to really understand even my own sexuality. I didn't, I didn't quite knew what to do. I just thought that, well, all my friends are having sex with girls. So that's the thing that I should be doing. And even though I felt that this wasn't something that felt right for me, I kind of felt that I had to do that because that's what everybody else was doing. And I had to try to fit in somehow. And I think I was too frightened to admit to myself and maybe my family, you know, that I was I was gay. I was brought up very strict Catholic background. So that whole guilt was another layer that added on to the fear with everything else. And that can be loud. Like I went to a Catholic school, but I'm not Catholic. Mm. Um, but it was like the, the, the closest school to my house, basically. And... I don't know, I feel like it can be really loud mm. when you know that you're different, that it's just like, bottle it up, push it down, ignore it. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about you, but I used to have this really weird thing in my head where I, if I acted on my sexual impulses that I that were inside me, I had this fear that something bad would happen to my family as a punishment. So it was like, it was really weird. I had this I, I became obsessed with the number five and I had I had to do things five times. I know it sounds ridiculous, but it's like an OCD, a, a compulsive disorder. 
Um, so mm. I had to do things. It was really weird. I had to do things five times um, in my head to cancel out anything that bad could happen. And it was this weird, I was in my te- you know, teenage years and I had this so many conflicting things going on in my head where I was frightened to admit who I really was. And I had this fear of the Catholic guilt. And I had also this fear of being punished for being me. Mm. So in order to compensate all of those things, I had this compulsive disorder where I had to do things a certain amount of time. And honestly, it used to do my head in because I would find myself just ridiculous, turning things like lights on and off five times. It's like, what am I doing? Why am I being... Mm. why what is going on with me i think i think also during that adolescence you're sort of constantly trying to work out like with stuff like mental health i think that you know you you, you, the the lines of where like reality begins Mm. and where you know and where like imagination ends i think you know i think that makes perfect sense I, i can sort of remember doing sort of similar type things of being like that that sort of as you said cancelling it out mm. like that that really resonates with me like oh yeah i so remember being like oh i need to do this thing now because i'm not that thing yeah to, to reassure myself that i'm not that i mean now i think about a sort of 15 year old me and i'm like i want to give her a cuddle I'm like that must have been horrible yeah because it's it's not easy dealing with that stuff i think also is what as well when you're when you're getting the, the bullying as well at school and you kind of feel, as you probably know, you kind of feel different to the other kids and you don't know where you actually fit in. And I think when you're going through that puberty as a teenager and you're going through the changes in, in, in your body and your hormones are all over the place, it's really scary. Um, and, I, mm. and I don't think probably in our generation, there was, you know, there was no RuPaul's Drag Race, for instance, to watch on television. No. There was no queer shows. There was no kind of, I mean, I think the queerest thing we had on television was the Kenny Everett show, which my grandparents refused, mm. to, refused to allow us to watch um, in the house because um, obviously they didn't like that kind of uh, comedian. Um, of course, I used to think yeah. it was funny when he used to swig- swig- swiggle his legs around. I used to think it was hilarious. But my grandmother used to get up and turn the television over. Um, it was almost like I wasn't allowed to see that kind of stuff because it was wrong. Mm. Um, so you, I, I came from, a, I guess, my grandparents, who I loved dearly, were very much that generation of it's bad and wrong to be gay because that's unfortunately mm. the generation that they grew up with. I don't think they were bad people to think that. It was just how things were. Yeah, how society was. How society, exactly. But being a, being a you know, a, a young teenager questioning your sexuality and you having all that kind of influences around you, it did make you go crazy, like having to do things five times because there was no other outlet. Were you a teenager when you joined Blue or when Blue was created? But you quite, because in my memory, you're, you're all really young. Yeah, I was 21 when I got into Blue. So right. I'd just kind of gone through all that kind of stage. Um, but I was still really closeted at the beginning of Blue. Yeah. I was super, super, super closeted. Did you think, oh, I will have to come out at some point? Or were you like, I'm just never going to think about it. I'm going to be straight. This is what I'm going to do. Mm, It's a difficult one because I lost my virginity to a girl at 18. um, And I was convinced that I was going to be punished for doing that by the people up up above in heaven. (laughs) So I was convinced that something bad had happened. And then when I realized nothing actually bad happened, I think that gave me a little bit more freedom to explore my own sexuality and mm. I guess getting into the blue, I had already done certain dabble things with guys, but never had gone the whole way. 
And, you know, I felt awful about stuff. You know, the guilt would play in my mind. It was like, oh my God. Mm. So when I got into the band, um, it was almost like I had been created a role by the record company to be like the heart of the band or the ladies' man. And I was being linked to various different celebrities. So I kind of just went with what was being created by the media. And I thought, okay, well, this is great because they're actually creating their own story for me which isn't really my story but I'm going to go with it because it kind of fits me the narrative the narrative yeah so I guess from the beginning right from the beginning of my career with Blue as a 21 year old I was I was living a lie I wasn't being true to myself or to anybody really Mm. and it wasn't until um, I got to 30 when I couldn't do it anymore you know I've kind of like nine years of that and it was just enough was enough. And I was like, I have to come out now because I can't actually live like this this lie anymore. It's it's making me so ill and it's it's toxic. Yeah, I, I can totally understand that. And I, because I, I remember you were constantly linked to different women in the press. Mm. Like, you know, everyone's got like a different role in a band, haven't they? Certainly like the 90s boy band. And yeah, you were the real ladies man. Is a lot of that sort of cultivated by a label? So you're in a boy band, you're audience predominantly is women is girls yes so i think when it comes to media narrative and you have a pr that is very clever at spinning stories i think it's always in the favor of you know these guys are single they are Mm. you know up for dating lots of people you know you could date them too it gives it gives the i guess the fan base the opportunity to think or maybe i could date them um which is kind of a marketing tool or was a marketing tool for, I guess, record labels think, great, we can sell records from this. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, of course. I think that, um, I mean, that's part of what the boy bands are certainly to like sort of young teenage girls as you sort of start thinking, oh, maybe maybe I could be with that one or maybe I could be with this one. And I think, yeah, it must have been, mm. you know, I'm sure there was lots of, um, um, of time within Blue that you really enjoyed and it must be a lot of fun being a pop star. But knowing that about yourself must have been like, I don't know, like a dull hum in the background. Like just, there must've been part of you that thought like, am I going to be outed? Oh, every day. Yeah, I I had that fear constantly. And it was actually, I stopped enjoying what I was doing with the band because I just had this, I was living in fear that something was going to happen. And the whole kind of rug from underneath this lovely, comfortable world I've been living in with the band was going to be taken away and I was going to be exposed. and. You know, and it, I had all those fears again of like being back at school, being bullied by everyone going, oh, you're the gay one, you're gay, you're gay. We knew you. Yeah. And I had all that fear that was going to just all of a sudden, you know, come. And back then, I guess, when I, just before I came out, there was awful stories about, do you remember when people were doing gay bashing? Um, yeah. And you were hearing people were just like finding out people were gay and beating them up. And you would hear all these awful stories about people being queer bashed and stuff in the streets. And I just had this like fear that that was going to be me and I was going to be attacked or beaten up for for being gay. And it was just like, it's scary to think that actually that kind of stuff used to happen. I mean, and, like, and, and in some ways it's, you know, it happens less frequently, but you know, it's still, it, it, you know. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it still happens now, sadly, but I think on a, a much, well, especially in the UK, much less. Yes. I think we yeah. are much more educated now. Thanks to 
media and television actually people like yourself you know talking about this even like this this podcast it helps people to understand and i think people when they don't understand something they become well they're not knowledgeable are they so they become scared or they don't know mm. how to react so a natural reaction is to be maybe like a bully or or defensive isn't it to something that you don't understand yeah or judgmental or judgmental exactly yeah that must have been i can't even like i remember being worried at school at college that like someone was going to find out that I was like occasionally seeing this girl and it felt humongous but to be doing that on like the world stage I mean Blue weren't just bit massive in the UK you were massive in loads of different countries around the globe weren't you yeah yeah and so I can't even imagine what that must have been like waking up and thinking it's today the day yeah that it's all going to come like for your mental health that must have been exhausting it was I, I mean I I was Put on a antidepressant called Siroxat, which actually I really regret doing because it ended up making things worse. But at the time, I went to see a, I went and saw a doctor in Harley Street in London, and I basically regurgitated everything that was gone on since childhood um, to all through Blue, um, and told him how I felt. You know, at times I couldn't cope anymore with having this secret. So he kind of said to me, right, you need an antidepressant tablet to help you, to make you feel better, to make you deal with day-to-day -day life. So I was like, okay, great. Just give me, what, what can I take? Give me anything. I just want to feel better again. Mm. So I was put on this. And then I remember being increased to like the highest dosage level that you can take of this antidepressant. But they didn't tell me at the time that coming off it was a really hard thing. So you have to kind of wean yourself off really slowly, take less, 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 and then less frequently each day and stuff. Yeah. Um, and I remember at the time I was really busy presenting lots of different TV shows like the National Lottery and all sorts of stuff. And I would get this weird thing where I would move my head and then a split second later, my vision would follow. And it was like, it's like being on a, almost like, you know, when you're, it's, when you, when you've been on the boat for ages and you get off and you're back on the land, yeah. you still feel that you're on the boat, don't you? It's like a weird, yeah, yeah, yeah. so I had this going on. Because they hadn't told you how to stop taking it. Well, it, I was weaning myself off correctly like they did, but the drug, the drug was just making, yeah, just so strong, making me feel really, really weird. And then also on top of that, it was giving me really bad anxiety and panic attacks, which I, which I hadn't had before. So not only was my my head and my vision feeling weird, I was getting these awful, horrible um, panic attacks. And I remember one day presenting the National Lottery and the, board, the machine broke and the camera's on me and the auto cue is scrolling up and scrolling up and scrolling up. And I've got everybody in the gallery talking over each other. Oh. And I didn't know what to I didn't know what to do. And I literally had the worst anxiety panic attack at that time on national television. And I know it's I know it sounds funny, but I actually shit myself. <laughs> I talked oh about my this. God. I've talked about this public. I just went and yeah, and I just remember thinking, oh my God, that wasn't a part. I've just literally shitted myself because I got the worst anxiety. And I know I've I've made fun of it now because I can look back and make make a joke of it and it is quite funny. But at the time that must have been horrific. It was horrific. And I remember walking off that set and I said to my agent, I'm never doing this show again. I will never present this show again I can't I can't do it I can't do it and I never did from that day I never went back and, and did any more lottery now that was a really lovely little gig for me but I actually had to get myself better and off that drug properly mm. to actually be better 
And it actually took me, um, I think all the stress of everything that was going on inside my body. I had appendicitis and I didn't realize, and I was taken to hospital um, and I had to have an emergency operation because I had this uh, ruptured appendix. And I was so poorly and in intensive care after the operation. I was in intensive care for about a week. Um, and my mum was, oh I know my mum was really worried. They messed up the operation. It was, it, anyway, it, cut a long story short. Thank God I was in intensive care for a week because that week completely weaned me off that antidepressant. And after that, all the anxiety kind of went away. The weird feeling with the, with the vision all stopped. And actually it was like a reset having the appendix mm. removed was was like my body exploding and something that's exploded in my body for me to reset and actually go okay right now i'm feeling better and now i have to address this and now i'm actually able to address things and so was it after that point that you thought i'm going to have to deal with this publicly because i mean the tabloids i mean they're horrific now but i feel like you know 15 years ago mm. they were much worse like they they've really like well a lot of papers really seem to enjoy sort of trying to out people or giving people like tidbits of information making it like oh they've not got a girlfriend or you know whatever mm -hmm. else mm -hmm. yeah and so did you sort of feel like you had to sort of get ahead of the curve in a way so that you had dealt with it i i think that i had i mean i had a boyfriend at this time um and it was it was in a secret relationship nobody really knew and I just kept thinking this is a ticking time bomb waiting to to come out. Somebody, more more and more people are start are starting to figure out things now, and I just kept thinking mm. with with the media and the press so, you know, almost like wanting to witch hunt people if they find if they get a sniff of something, mm. they want you know they pursue stuff, and I just was so scared that something would happen, and actually I sat down with my PR officer and I said to him, I need I can't live like this anymore. And he said to me, what do you want to do? And I said, I, I just need to do a story or something just to get it out because mm. I have to do something. So I actually sat down um, with a journalist and um, we did the story together. And I felt more comfortable to come out as bisexual, first of all, because I just felt coming from this hugely successful boy band as a ladies man and all this kind of stuff is what I was perceived that. Also, I had a daughter in the mix during all that crazy time. And I didn't want to just go from that to gay straight away. I know it, some people might think it's a bit of a cop-out, but for me, I thought I had to do the stepping stone. And I kind of was bisexual because I had been sleeping with women and I had been sleeping with men. So I kind of was And also I think that, that you, like, you know, there's no judgment in how people navigate their own sexuality. You know, I think it makes sense that, you know, if you're not 100% sure if you're not sure how to do it I think that you know whatever the right obviously there's people that are bisexual and there's people that are gay but I think whatever the route is for you I don't think anyone can really put any judgment on that I also think oh Jesus doing it in the public eye like yeah. I've always been out because I was you know I was already sort of out by the time I, I was sort of occasionally on telly but to do that I think is enormously brave I think however you had to do it it's enormously brave it is really scary but thankfully because of that story that went out, it was almost like the release that I needed. I felt the sandbags completely being lifted from my shoulders that had held me down for so many years. And after that, I thought, well, hang on, it's not really a big deal. Nobody really gave a shit. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't gay bashed in the streets. I wasn't called out. I wasn't bullied. I wasn't 
I had nothing but support really. Um, and I was welcomed into the community in a really positive way. And it was almost like I discovered a whole new community of people who were like me, who had gone through similar things like me. Um, and then I was getting invited to, to do many things like, you know, LGBT awards and uh, Attitude magazine stuff and all these kind of things where it was more celebrating the fact that I was queer. And I felt almost like I was embraced from a community which I didn't really even know, even really knew was out there because I'd never really stepped foot into that. Do you know what I mean? Well, of course. I mean, if you're constantly worried about being sort of outed by the press, how can you like nip into a gay bar exactly. and be like, are my people here? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, it's impossible. Yeah, exactly. So I, that was the best thing that happened to me, really. I think that's so encouraging to hear. But I think that it's still like, you know, I wonder today, like, you know, if a new boy band came out, if one of them was gay, I don't, I still feel like the, I don't know how warm and opening the press would necessarily be to like, you know, you hope that it would change a bit, but I feel like, you know, when, when you guys were at the height of your, of your fame, you know, I th think it was long before any of the, the other gay guys from boy bands had even considered coming out. But, you know, there was always, um, I don't know, there was always an undercurrent of the press trying to be like, we got you. Yeah. You know, and I think, I just can't imagine what that was like to live through. Yeah, it was pretty scary. Um, I, I remember Stephen Gately actually coming out in a, in the news of the world, I think it was um, about a year or so before me. And I remember reading that story about him and I was absolutely petrified that it was going to be me next. I just literally was like, oh my God, they've got, you know, Stephen's come out now um, and I'm going to be next. And I was so frightened. I literally was just petrified. That's such a shame that that seeing someone like you was actually a catalyst for you feeling frightened rather than you feeling like, oh, that's good. There's someone else like me. That it's so sad that that's yeah. that pressure was was so great for you. And and do you find sort of now it feels like you're a real sort of you know you're saying about going to the different awards and stuff. It feels like you're a really celebrated part of the community. Does that feel sort of exciting for you, or does that feel like, or does it feel like, oh yeah, I always should have been here? Um. I feel really happy that I can be my authentic self now. And I feel mm. that by turning up to these events and, you know, having these conversations like with you, I think it can help other people that maybe are still going through issues with their sexuality or maybe people that finding it really hard to still not be, be able to be true to themselves and come out. Because I, I think, you know, when you turn up to these awards and these awards, like you know, like pride that we have every year to celebrate our community, I think it just helps because there are kids out there that still really struggle and not just kids, adults as well that really struggle mm. with it all. And I just know it's, for me, it was never, it was not as bad as I imagined it to be. Do you know what I mean? I had built, I think mm. we all build it. I think you said it as well. You build up this huge thing in your head that it's going to be huge do you know what I mean and it's never actually as big as we think and did you like you know did you have to speak to like your family before you sort of came out publicly to sort of be like I'm, I'm, I'm gonna do this yeah because that must have been I mean I assume that a lot of your friends and family I know it was after the band but your bandmates must have you know, you know known more about you than the general public but was it sort of a, a conversation where you had to go I'm, I'm gonna do this in a big way now yeah, I mean, I remember when um, the mother of my child became pregnant um, and she told me, I remember ringing her, oh, she rang me to tell me that she was pregnant and I remember saying to her, right, you need to know something about me straight away. And she said, you're gay. I went, 
how, how, how did you know? And she was like, I've always known that. I've been really close to you for a long time. I've always felt that about you. And I love that about you. It's who you are. And it's not going to change me wanting to have this child. So then the next person I had to speak to was my mother. Um, and I had to explain, obviously, to my mother about my sexuality and then about having a child. And it was a lot for my mum to take in as well. Wow, I had no idea those things were so closely overlapped. Yeah, it was so closely overlapped. And I remember the guy um, that I was kind of loosely seeing at the time, I remember having to tell him that I was going to be having a child. And he was then upset and he felt a certain way. So I had so many different angles to deal with at that time as well. And yeah, it was just, when I look back now, my, my 20s were crazy. It was honestly not only the success of Blue and dealing with my sexuality, but all the relationships that I had that I had to tell about myself as well that I kept quiet from everybody. So, yeah, it was just like my 20s. Honestly, I don't know how I got through my 20s um, and how I'm still pretty sane. Or maybe I'm not actually sane at all. Maybe I'm just completely bonkers. But, um, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know how I managed to get to get through it in one piece, really. The way that you're the mother of your, of your daughter reacted must have been, I mean, such a relief. Yeah, yeah. Because now I guess you sort of co-parent. Yeah. I know we're all grown-ups, but I mean, it's such a grown-up way to deal with it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's so, uh, it's quite impressive, really, to be able to co-parent like that. Well, the funny thing is, it was like, I, I was 26 when I had my daughter, but I'd, I'd met Claire when I was 18. Um, and we had been really good friends from the age of 18 onwards. And we started off having a, a, a relationship when I was a teenager, effectively. But then over the years, um, we just became really good friends. And um, I guess your closest friends know, they're the people that really know you, aren't they? Um, they see a different mm. side to you that that you don't often give give out, especially if you're on a television show or, you know, to fans. They don't, they see... They see a different side to you, don't they? They don't get to see the real you. It's that third third yeah. wall, isn't it? Um, but Claire really knew me. And of course, she just straight away called me out. And she was like, I've always felt there was something different about you. But why Why does that mean that you can't be a great dad? And I kind of thought, well, I didn't really look at it like that. And, you know, I just felt scared. How can I be a dad if I'm gay? You know, how can I, how can I do that? And I guess it wasn't something that I had really got my head around at the time. And I was really, really lucky that Claire was just incredibly supportive of me um, and who I was and never made me feel bad for being who I was, you know? Mm. And I'm imagining like at that time, because you know, that, that's how, how old is your daughter She's now? She's 16. I have a 16 year old. It's wow. crazy. I know. Oh my God. Know, it's crazy. But I'm guessing when she was, you know, when she was a baby, there weren't a lot of, if any, like out gay parents in the media. Like I know that gay parents would have existed, but I'm just trying to think like people like Alton John, his children are mm. much younger. Like there weren't lots of people, but there's loads of queer families now. Yeah. But there's, you know, but there, there weren't people that would, were doing it so you know in many ways you know you're a bit of a trailblazer <laughs> yeah I mean I, look I I'm very blessed that being a gay man of my age now my 40s I've got a beautiful daughter um and I think in hindsight if I hadn't have had had her those years ago and I had continued you know the path 
but I continued. I probably wouldn't have had 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 a child now. Yeah. And I think if I had wanted a child, it would have been through a different way. Do you know what I mean? Finding a surrogate and doing it that way. So I'm actually really, really happy. And it's one of the biggest blessings that I have in my life that I I've got a you know my daughter um, with Claire and her being completely cool uh, as a 16 year old. I'm just so happy. But yeah, yeah, it, it has been a crazy, a crazy journey crazy journey and how how after you decided to come out and you said like you know it wasn't nearly as big as you thought it was how were the you know and you got sort of enveloped by the community and rightly so um how were the press did you feel like they were were you treated sort of quite kindly or was there sort of any kind of backlash or was it no it it? it was fine actually I mean it was just funny because every time they talked about me in the press any anything that I was doing any tv show that I'd signed up for I was now bisexual star Duncan James rather than, you know, I was complete, I was labeled every time as, you know, bisexual, bisexual star or whatever, which used to make me laugh. It was just like, why why do you have to label me as, as that? You know, why, why can't I just be me? Why do you have to put me in a, you don't say straight star, you know, so-and-so do you, you don't, you don't, you know, but yeah, I was labeled as, you know, every, every story is with my new label that had been attached to me. But yeah. Um, the, pretty much the press were were cool um, after that, and the fan base was fine. It was quite interesting though. I did start getting um, new roles offered to me in different types of shows because I loved theatre. I was always playing a lot of the straight guy roles, but now because of that story, I was being put up for um, musicals like um, what well, Legally Blonde um, and uh, um, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. And then Rocky Horror Show. Um, oh yeah, of course. So I was being put up for more drag type roles, which I absolutely, I absolutely loved. Um, and I guess I would never have been seen for those roles until my story had come out. So I was very much pigeonholed by the industry because of what the press had made out me to be. You know, the womanizing, straight, heartthrob of blues. So they they kind of thought, right, well that's your role. This is the role you need to be playing. And in shows and, and films and stuff so yeah it was interesting how things yeah change and how you how you feared it yeah that, that story coming out and then it actually being a, a blessing of, of new kinds of work and new experiences exactly exactly yeah um Duncan I've got one more question to ask you thank you so much for uh, being so honest and sharing so much with us um all today the question I ask absolutely everyone that comes on the show is, is basically kind of a message to, to, to a former version of yourself or you know maybe someone that's listening that's in a similar place and I may be thinking of that version of Duncan in his 20s dealing with the, the pressure of so many things going on in his life if you could reach out to him and I don't know let him know that it was going to be okay and let him know that all the great stuff that was going to happen after he'd dealt with his sexuality what would you say I think that's it I mean I think it's really to say that you don't need to go and see a head shrinker there's nothing actually wrong with you you don't need to be put on uh, a, a drug to try to mask and make you feel better inside. Actually, just be you. Try to be happy in your own shoes. And almost, it doesn't really matter what people think because in the end of the day, it's your own happiness that counts for everything. And actually, you don't need to be scared because you're going to be loved for who you are. And all those people out there that don't love you for who you are, then what do they matter to you? You know, fuck them, but they mean nothing. 
it's it's two fingers do you know what i mean and actually the people love you for who you are and that's all that matters in life that is the perfect way to end the conversation thank you so much duncan i really appreciate you taking the time out especially when you're not feeling great oh Uh, it's very very kind of you that was the fantastic Duncan James. I loved that conversation. Isn't he just the nicest, nicest, loveliest man? And he's so lovely to look at. Listen, we all know I'm 100% Les, but bloody hell, what a lovely looking man. Uh, thank you so much for listening. You can always get in touch with me. My email is hello at outwithsusieruffle.com and I will chat to you next week when I bring you another story from our wonderful LGBTQIA plus family. I hope that you're doing okay, whether you're part of that family or whether you're an ally. I'm really pleased that you listened to this conversation uh, and I'll chat to you again next week. Okay, bye-bye.